Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. After the events of the school shooting last week, how do we celebrate the ascension of our Lord? We remember that He is our ultimate end. We remember that we are able to make change in this world by word and by deed, and that we need to go into this world offering that hope to everyone. You're listening to Yet at Present by Reverend Peter Yonker. Our Bible reading this morning will be from the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 2, I'll be reading verses 5 through 15 of Hebrews chapter 2. That's found on page 1862 of your pew Bibles. And for those of you who pay attention to such things, and actually I doubt it's very many of you, so every week in the bulletin we have a little box that says what I'm going to preach on next week, right? We always have that. Last week I had a different text there. I don't know if you noticed and I changed it. And, and before I read it, I want to tell you the story of why. So I spent a good deal of last Tuesday working on a, a really great Ascension Day sermon based on Colossians 1. Now, Colossians 1, as I think most of you know, is an absolutely terrific text. It proclaims the ascended Lord in this very reformed sovereignty of God way, right? He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is reconciling all things to himself through his blood. So I was working on it, I'd done a lot of work, and then Tuesday afternoon happened. And about middle of the afternoon, I saw the first reports that there'd been a school shooting in Texas. And when I got home, I realized that at least 10 kids had been killed. And by the time I went to bed that night, I saw that the toll was 19 children and two teachers. And my heart was heavy, as was yours. All our hearts were heavy. We got up the next morning, and, and it was on everybody's mind. I bet you wherever you went, when I came to work, everybody I met at work, that was the first thing they needed to talk about. It was on their hearts and minds, and they just needed to say something about it. I get up early in the morning, and I walk my dog, 5.15. And usually there's, no, there's not a light on in any house. But this time when I was walking, there were multiple lights on, and televisions going, and people around the TV trying to figure out what was going on. My wife is a kindergarten teacher. She woke up way before her alarm, thinking, what do I say to my children? These little six-year-olds, if they've heard, how do I explain this to them? What do I say to their parents? So we all felt this weight, and I got to my office, and I had this heavy spirit, and here I am proclaiming Ascension Day, which is a great day, right? It's, but it's all in a major key. It's the highest of high things. Jesus reigns over all, crown him with many crowns. It's as high as it can be. And, and, and in, a, in a day when we're feeling down here, how do I make those things come together? And I prayed about it, and it pushed me to this text. Let's read it. Before I do, let me uh, also draw your attention to a footnote, little footnote C there at the bottom where it says there's an alternate translation, and it basically in 7 and 8, it'll change all the thems to hymns. I'm going to do that because in the original Greek, the, the word is autu, which is uh, third person singular. And in the old NIV, that's how it was translated. I'm going to read it that way because I think that's a better translation, okay? It is not to angels that he, God the Father, has subjected the world to come about which we are speaking, but there is a place where someone has testified, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, a son of man that you care for him? 
You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor, and you put everything under his feet. In putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. He's talking about Jesus, of course. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to him. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, but is now crowned with glory and honor because, because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and the ones who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not afraid to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters in the assembly. I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here I am and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. This is the word of the Lord. So why is this a good text for today? Why is this a good text for days like last Tuesday and what we felt? First of all, it's clearly an ascension text, right? It's talking about Jesus reigning over all things and being crowned with glory and honor, right? And if you read through Hebrews, Hebrews is the most ascension-focused of all the Bible books. Hebrews is always talking about how Jesus is up in heaven, the, the great high priest who has paved the way for us so that we can go to the heavenly places. So it's always talking about Jesus ascended in the heavenly places. So it's a great proclamation of his ascended power. But it also has that little phrase in verse 8. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to him. Jesus is Lord, but yet at present, we do not see everything subject to him. Jesus is Lord, yet at present, there are people and powers that live in open rebellion against him. Jesus is Lord, and yet we all know that things come into our life that are evil and chaotic and knock us flat. Jesus is Lord, and yet we have days like last Tuesday. Yet at present, there is an awful lot contained in that little phrase. And the preacher of Hebrews uses it for a reason. He's using that on purpose to address the situation of his readers because the people who, to whom the, the book of Hebrews is addressed were people who were struggling. They were frustrated. They were not in this high ascension place. They were struggling. It's, it's not a new church. Most scholars agree that the book of Hebrews is addressed to a church that's gone for a while. Okay, so maybe 30 or 40 years they've been Christians. And so they've lost some of that initial buzz of conversion, right? When you're first converted, you're all, you know, it's like when you're first married. It's all, but now they're, it's, they're starting to settle in and they realize that all life's troubles don't go away. Aaron read a little bit earlier some of that, the authorities that come against them. Some of them actually had their property confiscated because of their faith. 
And if they've been doing this for 30 years, I, I promise you there's starting to be fights within the church, right? No church lives together for 30 years without some internal conflict. It's not just kumbaya anymore. And they've realized that belonging to Jesus does not exempt you from terrible things happening to you sometimes. Yet at present, they realize, not everything is under his feet. So the preacher of Hebrews writes this book to address their discouragement, to address that sort of sense of frustration and, and lament that they have. And if you read Hebrews again, the major thing that he's always calling the people to do is persevere, you know? Run with perseverance, a race marked out for you, right? That's Hebrews. It's always persevere. Keep going in spite of these sufferings. And, and what in our passage is the key for us? What does the preacher of Hebrews hold up so that we can press forward and celebrate Ascension Day even after a week like this one? The preacher tells us to look at the ascended Jesus. At present, we do not see everything under his feet, but we do see Jesus. Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. The preacher says, I know life wears you out. I know you're down. I know you feel frustrated. Keep your eyes on Jesus, and you can get through this. And there are two ways, I think, two ways that the preacher says that when we keep our eyes on the ascended Jesus, we can get through weeks like this one. Two things I want to hold up for you. First, when we keep our eyes on the ascended Jesus, we see the true end of the story. We remember how this story is going to end. One of the things that I think we've all seen this week, um, in particular with the school shooting, is that this attitude of defeatism sets in, right? What you hear is people say, we gotta do something, but we don't think anything's ever gonna change, right? For a while, everyone will say, we gotta do something, and then people will settle into their old camps, and social media will blow up with angry posts, and it'll go on for about a month, maybe two months for something like this, and then another something or other will come along that'll break the news cycle, and we'll just keep going. And then it'll happen again. And the only difference is that every time it happens, you get a little more cynical, a little more angry, a little more frustrated. What is that? That's a, that's a hopelessness story that we start to tell ourselves. It's a fear, anger, pessimism story. Fear, we're never going to see an end of this. Anger at people who look at the world differently than us. We've seen a lot of that this week. And then pessimism, like this... this country, this world, just a mess, and it's just going down. Fear, anger, pessimism. That story is a story, that hopelessness story, you hear it all the time, and not just with regards to this, you hear it with regards to all sorts of things nowadays. Our passage has something to say about this fear, anger, pessimism story. Our passage tells us whose story that is. Whose story is the fear, anger, pessimism story? Look at verse 15. Jesus breaks the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives are held in slavery by the fear of death. It's the devil's story. If you're always in this cycle of fear, angle, and pessimism, if you're going down and down and becoming more cynical by the day, 
That story of hopelessness is the devil's story. It's the fear of death that still holds you. In this place, under that ascended king, we are people who tell a different story. We do not tell a story of hopelessness. Every single week we get into this place and we tell a story of hope. We say to the world, no, it's not hopeless. We don't have to be pessimistic. This world can change. Jesus has risen and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. Jesus has risen and he holds this entire world in his hands and in him all things will be reconciled. Jesus has risen and though the wrong, like we sang at the first hymn this morning, though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. The fear, anger, pessimism stories everywhere in our society, we tell a different story. We tell a better story. We tell the true end of the story. It ends in glory with Jesus and all things reconciled to him. So the first thing that we see when we look at the risen Jesus is the true end. But we see more than that in this passage. We also hear the path to that true end. That fear, anger, pessimism story is a kind of path. It's a downward spiral into hopelessness and pessimism. The path that leads up to the risen Jesus triumphantly ascended is a little different. Look at verse 9. Verse 9 proclaims the end of the story, says that Jesus is crowned with glory and honor. How did he get crowned with glory and honor? First, he was made a little lower than the angels. So he came down into our fear and into our pessimism and walked with us through the troubles and the frustrations of life, in his life. Second, he's crowned with glory and honor because he tasted death for us. Through sacrifice, through the giving up of his blood, Jesus receives the glory and honor. So the path up to that ascended place is the path of sacrifice, the path of humility, the path of going down into people's misery and proclaiming the love and power of God there. Going down in word and in deed to these places of hopelessness and saying there is another way, there is another story. Word and deed. We can do sacrificial things in both these places. And some of those sacrificial things are right in front of us. As far as deed goes, here's a very easy way that we can shine a light against this kind of negativism. So as we look at the, the story of what happened on, on Tuesday, um, there's a lot we don't know. But what we do know is clearly that this guy who committed the crime was a loner, right? Someone who just didn't have a lot of adults around him, had very few people in his life who are loving, stable adults, okay? And here's another thing we know, that when another one of these school shootings happens, it leads to more anxiety amongst our kids. I know firsthand, and you know too, that a standard part of kids growing up life now in elementary school is school shooter drills. They're forced to anticipate this and enact it. Little kids, preschoolers, kindergartners, Three or four times a year, a teacher has to get all the kids, okay, kids, let's all go to this corner room and all hide. And nobody say anything. We're going to be quiet for 10 minutes. We're not going to say anything. And the kids practice that, hiding, in case the bad man comes. And then a principal or a custodian will go through the hall, and he'll come to the door, and he'll pull on it and rattle it. 
to simulate someone trying to get into the room, kindergartners, preschoolers. Now, I'm in favor of these things, right? I mean, they got to be done, right? They got to be done. But what is that doing? What, what story, what fearful story is that putting in our kids' minds? In the ministry of our church right now, we have something that we could do that would speak against the fear of those kids and the isolation of that one individual. That's our Kids Hope program. Our Kids Hope program goes into a school, identifies at-risk kids, and for an hour, every week, volunteers try to sit down and just love the kid, talk with them, learn their life. If there's problems, try to encourage them. If they need advice, give advice. So if it's one of those isolated kids, at least there's one more adult who's spending a little bit of time loving them. It's not going to solve all the problem, but it's just a little bit of light against the darkness. And then more broadly, we're going into that place showing that not all the people in the world out there are bad men who will do bad things. There's a lot of loving people in this world, and they come in the name and the love of Jesus and shine a different light. That's what we can do, and many other things to speak a better word, tell a better story. But we can't just do it, we gotta say it. People are so anxious and so discouraged and so negative right now, we have got to go and tell them in some way about the love of Jesus. We got to be able to tell them, to speak to their anxiety and tell them there's a better way and a better story and a Lord whose love rules over all things. I know that's not easy to do in this day and age. People shut you down, but they need it. One of the best ways is, is, is prayer. And I know that um, thoughts and prayers have been stigmatized this week, right? And I get that. But it would be an awful shame if that stigmatization would make prayer into a bad thing in our minds or in the minds of any Christian. I mean, one of the best things you can do is come alongside another person, Christian or not, who is scared and say, can I pray with you or for you? Because as soon as you do that, you're both coming before the ascended king. Another thing that we can do with our words is stigmatize the darkness. We've done a pretty good job with that with pornography, right? Pornography, uh, because of the First Amendment, will always be legal in this country. We know that. But we Christians have held up a better way. We've held up the light. We've said, no, this is not how sex should be. This destroys the person looking at pornography and the person who's being looked at. This is toxic. And we said, no, sex is, sex is something beautiful, but it was created by God for marriage. And we've held up that better way of looking at things. And so pornography obviously exists in great quantities in our society, but it's still something done in the darkness, right? People do it in corners because we lift it up and stigmatize it with our words. Can we do some of that with violence? Is there such thing as a pornography of violence? Movies, some video games, some music. You have no idea. Or, I'll say this too, what about the fetishization of some military paraphernalia? Like, do we need body armor? All right, body armor is great. Policemen need it. Uh, soldiers need it. On this Memorial Day, we bless them for their service. But do we need body armor? 
I'm not making an argument for laws to change. I'm just asking a question. Do we need body armor? Um, for months, there was a billboard in Grand Rapids, several of them that were advertising body armor. Um, this, this fully decked out person, like combat, this is something we need. Do we need body armor? And if the answer to that is yes, what fearful story is behind that yes? We need to speak a better word. The blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. We need to tell a better story. We need to tell about Jesus because we're, we're Jesus' people. We're baptized into him and into his story. And when we, when we live out of that story, when we actually go into those places by word and deed, into those troubled, desperate places and live that hope, really amazing things can happen. People can see in the darkness, they'll see the ascended king. Here's a story. Story of a man named Val who graduated from the Calvin Prison Initiative. I think he graduated this year, and his story came up this year. Val grew up in Grand Rapids. He was born in Grand Rapids in the late 70s, and Val got caught up in the drug world, okay? That's a story of fear, anger, and pessimism, right? He got caught up into this really, this death story, and sure enough, he was carrying a gun, ended up killing another young man, a man named Jeffrey Riley. It was part of a drug deal. He was caught, he was convicted, and he was sentenced life in prison without parole, and a lot of that in a federal prison because there was drugs involved. Well, at a sentencing hearing, the, there was a victim impact statement, and the victim's mom stood up. Her name was Jerlene. They called her Mother Jerlene. And Mother Jerlene stood up in front of the courtroom and to everyone's shock said, turned to Val and said, Val, I forgive you. In the name of Jesus, I forgive you, and I want to be reconciled to you. Well, the whole courtroom was shocked and Val was shocked too, but he wasn't ready to accept the forgiveness. He was just too hard and too angry. It, it, it messed him up. I mean, he was thinking about it all the time, but he was not ready to accept it. So he went off to federal prison some way far away. Every single year, Mother Jerlene, through Val's family, would send a message saying, tell Val to call me. Tell him I forgive him. Tell him... Jesus loves him. Val's response, nothing. Finally, Val comes back and ends up in Hanlon Prison. When his federal sentence is done, he ends up in Hanlon Prison for the rest of his life. And by the time he gets to Hanlon, things have started to change. He started to go to Bible studies. He started to lead Bible studies. He started to know Jesus. But he still won't answer Mother Jerlene's request for him to call because he's just, he's just so angry still and he's, he's ashamed. Now he's ashamed, right? Finally, one day, Val's brother, who knew about the situation, came to visit him at the prison, looked him in the eye and said, bro, it's time. And the next day, with his hand shaking, Val picked up the phone, called Mother Jolene and said, Mother Jolene, it's Val. I'm sorry that I killed your son. Please, please forgive me. And Mother Jolene, who was also, by, of course, in tears by this time, said, of course I forgive you. I've been praying for this for so long. Welcome home, son. And son is the operative word because now Mother Jolene talks about Val like he is her son, her adopted son. And they see each other and call each other all the time. They're working together on a way in the Michigan prison system that if, if an offender and a victim want to be reconciled, they can. 
through the program that they're running. Now that's a story that attests to the risen king, a story that went right down into the darkest place and attests to the power of the ascension. It would have been so easy for Mother Jolene, after what happened to her, to get caught in fear, anger, pessimism, fear, anger, pessimism, but she didn't. Why didn't she? Because Jesus. Because she saw Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. That's a story for last Tuesday. And that's a story for all the hard Tuesdays that are ahead. Amen. Lord, uh, this world is a confusing world. And how to help and how to change things, Lord, sometimes we, we hang our heads and we let our hands hang limp because it just feels overwhelming, Lord. But here in this place, we lift up our heads and we look at you and we remember your power and we remember the end of the story and we remember the power of your Holy Spirit and the power of your death and resurrection. And we pray that you will make us people of hope who share your gospel in word and deed and know ourselves beloved by you. Amen. Thank you for listening to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.